0: Hi everyone, it's Jennifer Harvey Sella and I'm back here with Karin Eglinton. We are uh, coming to you with our seventh conversation on gifted trauma. Uh, This is part two of a three-part series where we're talking about cultivating healthy boundaries. So in our last episode, we talked about cultivating aliveness and we talked about what aliveness is. It's this inner sense of beingness that we we tap into, this feeling of aliveness that we can bring into our world and connect with constantly and how trauma and gifted trauma oftentimes diminish that aliveness for us and how when that's diminished, it's difficult for us to understand what our healthy boundaries are. Uh, Both for protecting our own boundaries and then also for honoring and respecting other people's boundaries. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I recommend that you press pause on this one and go to that one and listen to that one first because that will provide the context for what we're going to talk about today. Additionally, Karin wrote an excellent article um, that links to. It's kind of a continuation of the conversation on what aliveness is, and that's found on our intergifted blog or intergifted articles page. So I also recommend reading that before you listen to this episode as well. Uh, It's really a must read. It's fantastic material. Um, So today we're going to go into the question of coherence last time we outlined that uh, protecting boundaries and cultivating good boundaries um, is a matter of al- aliveness, as we talked about, coherence and self-organization or just organization. Sometimes we refer to it as just organization. So the uh, aliveness, which I already explained, is this you know in- inherent beingness, this inherent um, life force that we plug into. Uh, and that's within us, the coherence is really this idea that everything makes sense in your life. Um, Maybe not everything, everything, but let's say enough to feel that the aspects of your life, your identity, your age, your social circumstances, the whatever you're doing for your, let's say career, if you have one, um, your relationships, those things cohere into uh, a satisfying picture and a satisfying experience for yourself on a daily basis. Obviously, we all have problems and sometimes things get, you know, moved around in ways that we we don't want and we go through periods of hardship and difficulty. But overall, uh, the idea is uh, having uh, a sense of coherence that helps with boundaries, because then you understand who you are, you understand how you're wanting to interact, you're understanding what your social goals are, your personal goals are, um, your age related. Developmental goals are, and so on and so forth. And so it's easier to come into relationships with a full, let's say, adult self, as opposed to coming in with a wounded self or some diminished version of your of yourself. Some lack, like lack of clarity about what you're trying to get out of your relationships. Lack of clarity what of what you're trying to get out of your um, career or even just your daily experiences with yourself. So that's coherence and we're gonna go much more deeply into that today. And then the other thing is the organization, which is kind of the self-organizing factor. Um, It's uh, something that kind of creates our instincts. uh, And if we live in a coherent situation growing up, we tend to develop a strong sense of internal uh, instinct for, for living. And so our body systems our relational systems tend to develop a an organized sense of being without us having to decide all the time like on the level of coherence like through mental decisions there's a lot that just kind of spontaneously self-organizes so if we haven't had if we haven't grown up with much coherence a lot of times we don't have the self-organized organizing factor the self-organizing intuition or instinct and so we're going to talk about what you do with that in our next episode. So today we're going to be talking about coherence. Um, the lack of coherence, growing up in, in a lack of coherence, often causes trauma. Um, like I said, it gives you a lack of clear identity, a lack of social belonging, or, or kind of questions about where you where you belong, a lack of self-esteem. And when you look at like, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, for example, you see that at each level, there's a kind of coherence that should happen. So survival coherence, belonging coherence, self-esteem coherence, aesthetic needs coherence, intellectual needs coherence, and self-actualization. And if you use the extended version, even self-transcendence. And if you don't get a chance to at least get coherence on those lower levels, so the basics of self-esteem and and belonging and um, survival, physical survival. Um, it's really it's it's very traumatic. You you feel like an alien. You feel like you don't belong. And because of giftedness and the way that giftedness and twice or multi-exceptionality makes us sort of, you know, not be not be in the norm and kind of miss a coherence with this with our social world around us. Um, a lot of times, not. Not in every person's life, not in every gifted person's life, but a lot of times, then that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about a lot of gifted trauma. So growing up in that kind of lack of coherence um, as a gifted person can cause, you know, it just layers on the levels of lack of coherence, like the kind of coherence you try to build when you don't have coherence already, um, it, it just is like kind of messes it up further, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, though that sounds a little depressing, I don't mean it like that. Uh, So then, even if you do start out in in a pretty coherent way in your life, like you have coherence around, and you're able to develop a healthy sense of self-esteem, and you feel safe, and you have social belonging, other traumas can come in and and sort of just, you know, destroy or um, compromise that coherence. So you could have a situation where you're, you know, you're gifted, you grew up in a gifted family, you went to gifted education, you're using your gifts in the world in a way that feels good to you, and so on and so forth, and everything went pretty well. Um, And then maybe you uh, suffer from a terrible accident, and you, for example, are paralyzed, or I don't know, you go through some physical trauma that changes everything. And that can put you in a state where nothing's coherent anymore, like you don't know where to fit in anymore because your 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 body is different uh or it can be a social trauma or some other kind of thing that happens later on that comes in and interrupts the coherence um and and causes this kind of signal error and so then it takes time to work toward coherence again and that's where a lot of people go through like a positive disintegration um the dark night of the soul and so on and so forth and retraining the brain to adapt to the new situation. So in any case, you have this need to um, retrain the brain and getting back, uh, getting back from a lack of coherence, whether it's that you grew up with a lack of coherence or that a lack of coherence came in later on, um, that all takes this, this conscious retraining of the brain Fortunately, our brains are very plastic and we can do amazing things with them. So, you know, not all hope is lost. Um, You may go through, you know, a fair amount of of pain in the process, but change and and hope is possible. Um, So what we're typically working with when we work with the levels of coherence is the individual level, the social level, and the collective level. And so when you're doing Retraining of your brain to get into a state of coherence, you are retraining yourself on the individual level, you're retraining yourself relationally, to be relationally coherent, and then to be uh, collectively coherent, like finding your coherent way of plugging into the collective whole. Obviously, our, we're, our world right now is in such a weird place that um, it's hard for any of us to, or I should say it's hard for a lot of us, maybe some of you are feeling super coherent with the collective, but I think a lot of us are watching a lot of our social systems and social structures fall apart. And so any of the things that we thought we could ground into in terms of coherence, um, a lot of them are, you know, falling away or becoming so incoherent themselves that they don't give us a place to plug into socially in a coherent way. So a lot of the work Karina and I have been doing um, with our I Heart Earth initiative and behind the scenes in a lot of the things that we're developing is really about helping us as gifted people to understand how can we uh, contribute to creating a collective coherence? Maybe we don't maybe we can't change the entire world, but how can we have influence in whatever collective spaces that we're in to help create collective coherence for ourselves to plug into and for other people to plug into. So it's a virtuous cycle in that sense. And then I want to say one more thing, and then I'm going to turn it over to Karim, who's going to lead the rest of the discussion. Um, When we're looking at what we're trying to develop in terms of coherence, um, it's easy to use the uh, areas of intelligence that I use in my model of giftedness, which are uh, intellectual intelligence, emotional intelligence, sensual intelligence, physical intelligence, existential intelligence, and creative intelligence. And so when we're looking at you know, coherence, we can just say, okay, well, I want individual coherence, but what does that look like? It's not just one level, like just the mental level of coherence. There's the physical level of coherence, the existential level of coherence. The creative level of coherence emotional and so on and so forth so when you're thinking when you're listening to cutting share uh what she's going to share um be thinking about coherence as this you know it's a it's a, a bigger topic than just an idea of coherence it's also the physical experience of coherence the existential knowingness of coherence the intellectual understanding of coherence and so on um so i think that's everything i had to share so now I'll turn it over to Kerri, and she's going to talk to us about what well, we're going to have a conversation about, but she's going to lead it, um, about how you can assess your present level of coherence on the different levels that we've talked about
1: through the lens of the
0: developmental stages of your age. So
1: I'll give it over to you, uh, thanks, Um, Thanks, Dan. I love everything that you've said so far, uh, because, well, coherence is, uh, as you can, as you listeners can already into it if you haven't encountered this concept before it is a complex phenomenon so um i often uh when i try to explain complex phenomena i i like to say it's like walking because the act of walking the physical act of walking is like uh is so complex and yet we we it's like we're intuitively it'd be like well it's just walking um but uh, let's say at the ai level it, you know, it's been so hard to replicate, for instance, mm. because it is like so many uh, exquisitely attuned parts functioning together at the same time in a way that carries that rhythm and organization that we're going to talk about uh, in, a future, in a future episode. Um, but everything comes together, everything matches. And if any, if any one thing come, you know, falls out of whack, and everything else will as well. So there's it's a complex interdependence that we're looking at, um, and so because of that, it's sort of in, it's it's a thing that can be really easily intuitively grasped if we think about concrete examples. But uh, when we go into the, um, I guess you could say the the analysis of what coherence is then we start to start to see all the moving parts that come together to make up coherence. And that's, um, it's, it's very um, fruitful for us to explore because when, as John was saying, we live in environments that lack coherence, we might not actually intuitively feel what coherence feels like. And then we have to actually approach it from this mental side, from this cognitive Um, conscious analysis side so that we can start to gain some reference points for where uh, like when when we look at coherence what do we look for Um, here I'll bring in um, an analogy from a completely different field which is biomechanics again I'm you know I'm talking about walking and so I have a a favorite um, author and practitioner in that field her name is Katie Bowman and some of you know know her work because I talk about it sometimes, um, and so she says that to find physical alignment, we are often told like you know you'll feel it or you'll go with what feels good, and she says no the the body as a biomechanical um, system. Has certain points of alignment, and those are objective they're not things that you can just feel into and know <laughs> and know from your feelings and that's because our brains will adapt and adjust the map of our bodies based on whatever environment we've been in so let's say if we're people who need to sit a lot because we work at an office or a computer computer based job, and our whole body sense is going to adjust to the the task at hand um, so that it loses its alignment, but that's what feels right. Uh, And so when it comes to realigning the body, we will actually have to um, track the places where it is out of alignment and consciously bring it back into alignment. Uh, And it's not gonna feel nice necessarily. it's not gonna it's not gonna feel pleasant it's not gonna be like oh this is such a nice stretch maybe you know maybe we'll feel some release because the alignment is gonna make it less effortful but (laughs) but it's like when uh if I take the example of the you know working at a computer as I do (laughs) Mm -hmm. then you know like this typical for all of us you know like our neck falls forward and we're leaning forward and then pushing the neck back gives us, like, a double chin, and it's not attractive at all. I'm doing it right now as I'm speaking. <laughs> and uh, and so when we, you know, like, then we have these, like, computer necks, and then, you know, like, we take a photo of ourselves, we're not going to take a photo in the aligned, <laughs> in the aligned state, because it looks, quote, ugly, uh, according to our standards, and it is sort of a signal that we've fallen out of alignment together. Yeah. And this is kind of um, uh, just giving like concrete examples of how coherence can, can uh, show, like the lack of coherence can show up as a collective social uh, physical phenomenon. And, uh, and then if I were to walk around as I do sometimes practicing my alignment, And I look really ridiculous (laughs) to others. (laughs) And um, my muscles aren't adapted yet. So that like the double chin doesn't go away for a long time. And it, you know, my throat is, my voice box is adapted to being in this forward position. So I'm doing it as I talk, you know, you can hear the difference in my voice. My, My whole body is adjusted to this more incoherent, um, less um, organically efficient, less thriving-based way. Um, does that make sense so far, John, the way I've explained it?
0: Yeah, it totally does. And I'm thinking of the parallels, you know, like, let's say we take emotional intelligence or emotional coherence and the collective. I mean, <laughs> let's just say our emotional collective is uh, currently in a state of, yeah. Well, everything's on fire. And I mean I'm saying that where there where there's all these physical fires going on, but like emotionally it just like it also feels like there's emotional fires everywhere. Um in a way that I mean I, I'm 40. I've been alive for 40 years. I haven't seen mm-hmm. life so far. Mm-hmm. Um and and it it reminds me of that too. Like you kind of plugged in and so in a way you're sort of co you seem to be cohering with the the, 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 co- the emotional collective if you're on fire all the time mm-hmm. Enraged mm-hmm. And, and so on and so forth but actually from an organic point of view and we know this from the body like the the body
1: can't sustain that for a long time without getting sick yeah exactly exactly yeah and I think it's quite um appropriate that we get to have a conversation about coherence on the year where everything's broken down yeah and and to ask it's to, to take the opportunity to ask, well, what does coherence look like when everybody and, and, and even our natural systems are disoriented yeah. and can we reorient ourselves right now? And so that takes me to the um, I'm circling back to what I was saying about uh, the cognitive, which is that. With some of the other things that we've said in the previous episodes, we keep bringing things back to the body, to connecting with our feelings, to connecting with our felt experience. And here, when it comes to coherence, I start to make a uh, a nuance or a distinction that we cannot only rely on our felt senses to find coherence. Uh, In fact, I would say, do not rely on your felt senses to find coherence unless you've practiced it for a really long time and you've you've already developed a certain level of um organic on these different levels on the personal the social collective etc coherence um rather become suspicious of your feelings (laughs) um in a productive way where it it starts an inquiry so um, I'm going to say this from the perspective of coaching. So when, when clients come to, to work with me, uh, our first few sessions are usually a kind of orientation um, where we look at the big picture of their life and look at where is, where is everything located. So we take stock and we take inventory. And from there, we create a plan to work together. And then in these initial times of working together, uh, and many of you listeners will probably relate to this, we look for what are, uh, where are we going? Like, what are our reference points? Where are we on the map? What are our landmarks? And where are we headed? And um, from that kind of taking stock place, we're going to be leaning towards more of a cognitive view of things where we look at where what are the things that have worked uh, let's say for people <laughs> in general like when we talk about let's say um, the the gifted discovery for example where the gifted uh, person uh, has not known that they're gifted all their lives and then one day somebody mentions something and then... Um, research begins and <laughs> you start looking for what, what is this giftedness and all of a sudden there's a concept or a quote quote label that um, helps us understand and make sense of the experiences we've been having all along that have left us disoriented. So this is the kind of reference point that I'm I'm talking about. All of a sudden knowing that there's a um, catalog of experiences and um and ways of being with that certain experience creates a whole map creates a feeling of clarity feeling of orientation and there's the coherence there's the aha moment and that's when we start to be able to tap into body feelings um because before that the body feelings are disoriented and they're not referencing anything so um when we want to cultivate coherence even beyond, let's say, the personal identity, we need to start asking ourselves, so what is, what is healthy? What has worked before? What, is, uh, what are the tools that promote change in a positive way? And those are things that we're going to have to explore with our minds often, more often first than we're going to be like um, discovering with our bodies on our own maybe then we'll find points of resonance with our lived experience through looking at these maps, tools and frameworks. And so as Jen was saying, um, I, I think it might be perhaps counterintuitive. Uh, i first listen to, to start to talk about age and developmental stages when it comes to coherence, but I hope to do it justice and uh and, and sort of carve a path that listeners can follow and and see where i'm going with this um so developmental stages boundaries and coherence when we're let's say born into this world um as little children uh, many of you know this that we're born with our brains not fully developed and there's uh for, um, from my understanding there's a very a set of complex biological reasons for that the brain uh requires a lot of space and and resources and so it needs to be born out of the body otherwise it would not be able to be uh, it would be too big to to be born <laughs> so we're we're coming out of the womb in this like say half baked state <laughs> and so then we as as a species as a biological species we rely on a survival strategy that is social we come into a family in in indigenous cultures we came into a tribe or clan Um, so a set of other brains that are really attuned to each other and I'm talking about the ideal here um, really attuned to each other and really coherent with each other who are going to attune and train that young brain to be part of and be like relationally connected and an effective member of that collective self and so in in modern psychology we've mapped out certain developmental stages there's different psychologists who have uh, written about it. We have a piece on our intergifted blog about it, which is um, the Second Childhoods article. And it's not directly about developmental stages, but how we reclaim those developmental phases and gains when we're doing our giftedness discovery and self development. Um, but if you want a refresher of developmental stages, then I highly recommend that article. Um, And so from that, knowing that we we can map these stages and these phases and what their uh, their gains could be and how they build upon each other to um, take us into a space of emerging maturity. um, Of which, let's say, if we look at the Erickson model, which is what's on the on the article that I just mentioned. there is, um, and in mature adulthood, there is the goal of generativity, and so it's like that's the end, the end game for a human being. Um, and it it is generativity, right, John? Am I like, yeah? Am I missing one? No, okay. Um, so there's that end game, if you will, that a human being is there eventually will build um resources and learnings to the point where we'll we'll be a generative like a, a person who creates goodness in our world for ourselves and for others and supports those generations to come so that's where the word generativity comes from it's like the the there's a turning toward those who come after us and that and if i i love this image i love thinking about um you know the point of my life is that i'm going to support those com- who come after me eventually and with the richness of resources and skills that i acquire along the way i can be a part of that stream of um generations to come and to me that's ultimate inspiration So um, when I think about our uh, if I track back to our question of boundaries, um, we're going to take the boundaries question and it becomes sort of like an unraveling. If you take a thread out of a tapestry and things start to unravel. So um, bear in mind what I just said about generativity and then I'll um, build towards what uh, how these things converge. when we think about healthy boundaries in relationship and we've talked already about the element of aliveness of treasuring ourselves uh our, our own aliveness and treasuring the aliveness of another being um and then the question of coherence is what context do we do that in and these nestled contexts that john was mentioning the personal the like, let's say, one-on-one relationships, your bigger social group, your collective. Um, will this context support the that healthy, ongoing coherence, or will it break down? And in our in our world right now, we see that it looks like everything is incoherent. Uh, I think it's like. Um, social media seems to make less and less sense every day Um, politics seem to make less and less sense every day so um, as as Jen was saying when we grow up in a space that does not provide that sense of coherence to align ourselves to if we um, if we think about it as I said like our maps and our reference points then we're going to adapt to that and then what happens to our developmental stages is that we don't complete them. And so we find ourselves, uh, if I'm going to just paint our rough picture here and say we find ourselves in a world full of people who have not completed their developmental stages and who are, let's say, adult children. Um, and this is, uh, let's say, it's, it's a tough situation we, find, we all find ourselves in. And we all have to navigate together because none of us started it. It started uh, you know with the generation generations and generations past, and we still have we we carry the burden of that and the disorientation of well if my parents didn't provide me or my school didn't provide me, and my culture doesn't provide me, where am I going to get those healthy reference points from and yet here we find ourselves. And uh, yeah, the this is the challenge at hand the the mm, the mountain to climb, you know uh, John, you were saying about positive disintegration, and Dabrowski used the metaphor of climbing the mountain towards individuation, towards uh, discovering our true personality. so i would I would put that in context of this coherence question and say that's the mountain. And when we start out in life, as I was saying, this um, not fully baked brain, and we have needs that can only be fulfilled by others, we don't have that self-generativity, everything that we need from, even from the basic emotional regulation, comes from the people in our environment. We're attuned to their nervous systems, we're... um, needing those nervous systems to make us feel the sense that we're OK. And if that carries over through the stages, it's like um, the image I have is like you have the, imagine the, a rainbow. And you start out at the color red, which is when you're a little kid, like a baby. And then that red color does not does not get resolved so say the needs of that stage does not get resolved. So then you move to orange at like school age, but you're carrying your red with you. So then the red mixes with the orange and then you don't fulfill the needs of the orange stage. So the red and the orange come into the yellow. And by the time you get to purple, you have mud. (laughs) All of these needs have been blended together and none of them have gotten resolved in their own time. So we show up, in our, in our lives, in our worlds as, um, as being all these selves at the same time and with all those hungers and needs that were not met at the same time. So the internal coherence of the self is broken down by being pulled in all these developmental need directions that cannot be reconciled in the present time of the chronological age of our bodies and i would dare to say that this is the biggest problem in our world at the human level uh psychological level um so um John, i'd love to hear if you know, this is resonating in the way that i'm saying it So i know that i'm blending several concepts from different places so i'm sure this all seriously over here <laughs> okay <laughs> just wanting to make sure that um that is it's easy to follow how i'm saying it yeah
0: definitely and i want i want to provide like a nuance because um so it's true that the end game is generativity but there is a task after
1: um, yeah i thought there was another task and i'm like there's another one yeah it's
0: uh <clears throat> it's integrity so it's gener yeah. so the the adult the middle adult stage is in generati- generativity versus stagnation and the older adults so elder periods, elder phase, is integrity versus despair.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: it's really interesting because when you take these two together, and this is why I didn't bother to correct you before, because I still think generativity is the end game. Integrity is kind of the, the result. It's the abundance that flows from being a generative person. So you, it's almost like um, integrity is an emergent task completion if i can put it that way yeah. whereas generativity takes work okay so not to say like if you're i an older person you just like sit there and don't do anything and then your life is wonderful but if you are an older person let's say you're 60 70 80 and you're looking back on your life and going wow like i can see what i built i see the relationships i built i see the coherence i produced for for myself and for other people I see my in, the investments that I made, like the emotional, creative, cognitive investments that I made. I see what they what they what they gave me, and sometimes maybe they didn't give you what you thought you'd get back. I mean, we see that all the time. But a lot of times they give you something back that maybe is a challenge, and then you grow from it. So you kind of see the cyclical nature of life, where like sort of nothing's lost, and everything can be sort of um, repurposed back into growth. Um, you know, when we're really plugged in to wanting to grow um, and and being able to grow through some version of coherence uh, in our lives. And so I wanted to point that out because sometimes it's tempting to look at and feel these phases, these developmental phases as just as needs from the point of view of needs. Mm -hmm. And really, I mean, Erickson talked about them in terms of tasks. So like, mm-hmm. what is the psychosocial crisis or what is the psychosocial task? Task, And that's so that, you know, physically we can feel that, like somatically we can feel that so differently. Like if I say, I have a bunch of needs that I need to get met, otherwise I can't be a generative adult versus I have a bunch of social psychosocial crises and tasks that I need to go through in order to become a generative adult. It puts me in a different different mindset but it's not to say that one is the right way to look at it and one is the wrong way they both have they're both true you need people to invest Mm -hmm. in you and to be trustworthy in order for you to develop trust which is the first psychosocial task, psychosocial phase task um but at the same time you have to be you have to learn to be a trust trustworthy person like Let's say yeah. you can trust your, let's say, because this is very, you know, this is infancy, let's say you can trust your, your mom, let's say to take care of you or whatever, but let's say you, you pinch her and hit her every time you can, I don't know how much of an infant can do these things and like intentionally, but let's say you do that. I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to get you through the task of, of, de- of, because it's not just developing trust in the world. It's also uh, being a trustworthy person. Right. Um yeah. And so it's at, at every uh, psychosocial s- stage, we are generating something, and so it's like, and I mean, naturally, if we if we if we get a lot of mistrust, we're probably going to generate mistrust as well. So right? it's mm-hmm. natural, like sort of input output basics, but it's something yeah. for us to think about because um, I've worked with lots of people, and I you know I've seen it even in my extended work where I'm not like coaching directly or, or mentoring directly somebody, but um, this kind of you know these adults who are like they show up and they're like well I'm I'm waiting to get all my needs met before I commit to any generativity or like mm-hmm. before I commit to working through the tasks or like they just don't want to see them as tasks they're like still waiting and I'm like well you're going to wait forever then because <laughs> there's this other side of it where you you got to come to it like ready to take on the task yeah, so it's, absolutely. Both, it's both at the same time, you know, and so it's just a nuance that I wanted to bring. And I also wanted to make a slight clarification, because sometimes I can be, you know, got to dot those I's and cross those T's, as we say. It, I don't think it was Dabrowski that ever talked about it as a mountain. I think it was, um, I mean, from what I understand, that was from um, the book Living with Intensity, and I think it was Michael Piakowski and Susan Daniels that used that analogy.
1: Oh, I might be confusing things, but yeah, I, I
0: know what you mean. Yeah. 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 In any so. case, I'm gonna to link to the art to my article on the matter. And so any of our readers who are interested in exploring that metaphor, which is a super helpful metaphor, um, you can look in our show notes and and find that article. I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I was writing down a bunch of notes as you were talking. Um
1: well, um there's i, I think the, the clarifications are really useful and i I like that you brought that in in case that wasn't clear when I say like the end point is generativity it's not like by the time you're uh what is it 35 40 or something that's the only time where you start to contribute <laughs> outward no um that's not what that meant <laughs> no but I think that's where like the con
0: like sort of this it's, it's right for your role that your main focus in your life at that time is generativity so like yeah. the coherence if let's say if you went through your psychological stages your psychosocial stages in a coherent way and didn't have a lot of trauma or whatever um by the time you're an adult you have all the building blocks to be a generative person so yeah to some degree i mean each like the next phase emerges naturally from the phase before it if the needs are met and the task is um confronted or or what's the word when you i can think of the word you know when you take on a task when you
1: i think taking on the task makes sense yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um and and um organically i think it also makes sense in terms of you know what i said if the ideal is that you become a member of a tribe or in in our current uh, non-indigenous cultures uh you know a con- contributing member of like meaningful work or um, how you connect with your family and your friends, it will never work through self-focus only. And where do I get my needs met only? Mm-hmm. And we know this in- instinctively. Uh, speaking of back to instincts, that if we're solely self-focused, then we're gonna lose a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> we are, or our friends
0: will like have codependency problems, and they'll like be there to take care of us. But then later, yeah, we're gonna you know, call in the, call in the bill and say, well, I've been taking care of you for all this time. Now you owe me.
1: (laughs) Well, um, which brings me to the, uh, you know, to some of the things that John, you and I were talking about earlier, which is that in the, in the, I don't know where things have gone wrong, honestly, uh, speaking of the coherence background uh, or incoherent background in the historical ways that, Uh, psychology and self-development has tried to help us um, grow some things have gone wrong in that um, nuance and in us trying to put the self first and I think that you know tracks with our cultural systems a lot of the work that we do in I Heart Earth as you were saying where we we illuminate where our cultural narratives have come from and how they've gone wrong and so John, uh, something that you and I have talked about a lot is the question of narcissism and how we see it in culture, how we inherit it, how we act it out. And, as, and this is where it ties back to boundaries and is when we cultivate healthy boundaries from a place of coherence, you are of course creating healthy boundaries for yourself. You're um, also looking out for the boundaries of the other. Uh, and in, in an incoherent environment where not neither the needs nor the tasks have actually been fulfilled, then we carry this uh, narcissism that perhaps would be health, healthy in childhood, you know, like I need my needs met um, as a child, and there's nothing I could do about that and uh, it becomes more and more dysfunctional as we get older and these needs and these tasks continue to be unfulfilled, uh, incomplete. And then we have uh, uh, sort of generations and generations of us who are carrying these, whether it's traces or full-blown narcissistic behaviors, and we, if because of the sort of cultural incoherence or multiple levels of um, dysfunctional coherence, let's say, then that narcissism goes unchallenged. And we try to build upon the shaky foundations of mutual narcissistic agreements or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then that leads us down the path of actually quite socially sanctioned let's say abusive behaviors um maybe quite subtle maybe quite overt maybe somewhere in between where there's um a sense of entitlement or a sense of i uh i can't do anything um how am i going to say this like um when we look at abusive behaviors i'm backtracking a little bit um we're also looking at controlling others or, or imploding that abusive behavior upon ourselves and controlling ourselves. And so in, it's like uh, collectively, instead of having t- uh, the resources and the time and the focus to say, I'm going to take on my developmental tasks, even if it's hard, um, it's like we've gone uh, more feral, if you will. <laughs> and been like well i can't get this done i can't get my needs met i'm just going to do the next best thing which is um y- using another person's energy for my for my benefit or co uh, or manipulating or um putting pressure in the places where it hurts for them or letting them put pressure on the places that it hurts for me because i will never you know because there's a sense of self-defeat yeah and so we, we, if, if, uh, if the roots are this place of unmet needs and unmet tasks, and then we go through the trunk, uh, the trunk is the, the development of these narcissistic and abusive adaptations. And then you have the branches of multiplicity of behaviors that are relationally completely absurd if we look at them from the, from the lens of coherence. They don't make sense. They will never get the task fulfilled. They will never get the need met. And yet we live in them and we suffer from them. And we see the consequences at all these um, levels that we were mentioning from the social and the collective all the way down to their self and all the way back, macro and micro. And uh, it's no wonder that we continue to be disoriented then. Uh, and what I see as, Uh, the you know it it takes me back to what I was saying before at, at the risk of sounding repetitive that we need healthy reference points to help us compare and contrast how we are experiencing life how we are behaving in life and how we are behaving towards others and towards ourselves and to see like on one column here's my experience my behavior my um my needs, et cetera, like all the things that I experience internally, how I'm um seeing my life unfolding, and on the other column, you could see what is a healthy adult do? what is um a mature adult um behave like with another person? How do you talk to somebody else? so um, I'll just say like a quick example that uh, I know that different cultures are different, and I've lived in different countries in my life. And when I first came to live in Germany, I was shocked at how harsh people are to each other. I was, I could, you know, I could walk down the street and see like a couple where one, one of the people in the couple was like, like literally putting the other person down in public. And I was like, what, <laughs> I'm shocked. But here that's normal. And nobody bats an eye. Uh I only had different reference points from a different culture that would never do that. I mean, they might be abusive, but they wouldn't do <laughs> it in the public. You know?
0: But they'd be considered abusive, yeah.
1: Yeah. By the public, yeah. If yes. Uh and so the the jarring difference in reference points was what helped, you know, quote, helped me in contrast to be in this culture and say, well from my point of view, I would never accept somebody talking to me like that. And in a way, we need to do that for ourselves to get out of our quote, quote, culture by immersing ourselves in healthy reference points and say, okay, what's the the manual say about human relationships? Mm -hmm. Um, The manual says, um, don't put somebody else down if you have to let's say um if you have a conflict talk about how to resolve it or talk about you know your your own experience rather than using the experience as a weapon that would be one of the coherence reference points that would create a healthy relationship um yeah so the i i would say we have a lot of work to do collectively to to find these reference points uh, to avail ourselves of the reference points that already exist and to um, put ourselves up to the task of resolving these patiently and diligently.
0: Yeah, and I would kind of add a couple nuances to that even to say like, you know, well, this question of like, what does a healthy adult do and looking for healthy reference points in a manual. I mean, part of the issue that we're having now is that a lot of adults um, that, you know, didn't get the needs met before, as you were saying, like this generation upon generation. So right now we're we're looking at kind of the results of this, let's say, you know, human social experiment um, or human like living experiment of the last generations. And we have, I mean we just have to look around the world and we see a lot of adults who are in the middle ages and should quote be uh, in their generativity stage. And they're like in the stagnation or worse situation. And so we're Mm -hmm. looking at them and going, I need like elders to what's, what's real. And I, I can't follow that example. And one thing that's really challenging for any of us who grew up like in um, abusive situations is, you know, like, since we're talking about abuse, a lot of times, like, if we've had parents that have personality disorders, or have been abusive, like, there's always this idea, you go no contact with people that are doing narcissistic abuse, for example, and then, but then what do you do if you go no contact with the adults in your social system? What adults do you look toward? And, you know, our politicians, as you were saying, I mean, don't, seem to be people we can look up to and even like the people who are meant to care for our mental health or help our mental health sometimes don't even feel it doesn't even feel like we can look up to them because you know how many times have you heard it and I've been through it personally going to a therapist who clearly hasn't done their own work and they're not at the generativity stage and they're let's say they're at the faux generativity stage where they have the nice Mm -hmm. words but they're not you know they're they're bringing all kinds of confusion and um, feelings of mistrust and stuff into the relationship. And so it's like, it's a very confusing world we're navigating. I mean, I can't say, um, I can't say, oh, in the past, it was like 100% better. No, no, was absolutely. the The past had its own problems. But right now with the model that we're working with, I think it's very hard work to find good reference points. So it kind of comes back again to this, question of task and like i i was writing down something as you were talking before which is like you know i, I see you know basically sort of like let's say three different kinds of people are like on a spectrum and how they're engaging in their um let's say in the response to these tasks is like there's in the middle there's just like healthy engagement like they're they know they deserve better and so they're doing the work to get better to get better reference points for themselves. You know, like if this therapist didn't work out, then you go find another one and you go find another one and you go find another one until you find one that um, does respect your boundaries and is giving you generative information and so on and so forth. Does, does understand giftedness, does work with giftedness in our case. Um, Instead of like Continuing to go to a therapist, for example, that that rejects giftedness and tells you that you're just being narcissistic because you think you're better than other people or something like mm-hmm. this. I mean, because I've talked to plenty of people who keep going to that 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 therapist and they're like, well, you know, I don't want to, maybe I'm being too picky, you know? Right. Like, yes, you know, absolutely. You're not, you're not being too picky if you need somebody to just like give you healthy mirroring. Um, but so the engagement is like continuing to do the work and not so knowing you deserve to continue to do the work, and and you continue to um, you deserve to, to get healthy reference points or find find and build healthy re- reference points, but not feeling entitled to it in the sense that you could just like you can you can just collapse back and wait for it to show up at your door. Um, so the collapsed is the sort of other you know is the extreme to the one side that I see, like people just collapse into kind of a state of helplessness like learned helplessness and then on the other side is the sort of aggressive controllingness um and so it's like finding finding your way toward that middle ground where you're engaged um without going into these states of like yeah basically nervous system over overload one way or the other so the the fight or freeze situation
1: yeah I I love everything you're saying especially because um you know the you know when uh not long ago when I was saying you know I'm I'm really focusing on elders right now yeah (laughs) um and and the two of us in our explorations have talked about the need for elders and reclaiming that need and it you know it would be the elders that also give us the hope to continue engaging yeah and again in an ideal world and so it's not just the mental references from a book but that we're more wired to have people around us who have devoted their lives to their own development and then turned the harvest over to the next generations and that that's what normally would give us some sense of meaning and hope and support
0: yeah something Um, interesting on that point oh no go ahead go ahead something interesting on that point is that with this kind of cultural narcissism that we that's been building up um is that it's very easy for a quote expert to fall into the trap of or even somebody who's trying to develop expertise or mastery in a domain that it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of like, instead of being generated, like true generativity, which is like, uh, c- like cyclical, you know, so I give and then I get back. But in a healthy, immersion way, it's more like this kind of aggressive control generativity. Like, yeah. look at me, look at all of my accomplishments, look at basically adore me or worship me or reward me or something like this. And so you can generate an enormous amount of um, material and you can do a lot of things. Oh, we've all seen this, that mm-hmm. you know, somebody who does, they they produce uh, how many books and they produce how many whatever's um content content whatever's uh and yet when you look at the actual like content that's generative you, you start to question well <laughs> this is generative for their ego but is it generative socially i right. for a lot of people it's that there's a there's a clear mix between those two so i mean not to say that it's so clear cut sometimes i mean you have the extreme cases that are you know, clearly that they're in it, they're in it for their own, let's say their own ego or something. Um, but I think that's tough because especially for us gifted people who, you know, see the potentials and we see all the things we could do. And any of us who were like, um, indoctrinated into the idea that giftedness must turn into eminence, otherwise Mm -hmm. it's nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, then, you know, it's, we can, we can also be sort of really misled by this because we can look at somebody who's done really impressive things and go, oh, I should be using my gifts like that person. But that doesn't mean, doing impressive things doesn't mean you're being generative in a coherent way like we're talking about.
1: Yeah, and, and it's good that you're making that distinction because we can easily confuse like output mm-hmm. and accolades with... um the the generativity that that would be like the ericsson generativity which is like less it's a lot less about the self anymore at that point the the self has become more of a a crucible or like a space than like a thing that you need to bolster and it's a lot more about the um the interconnectedness a space where if somebody else thrives that gives you something in return yeah
0: yeah because like also um there's kind of this idea like there's central questions to each each developmental task and in young adulthood there's this question of like can how can i love so like developing this concept of because adolescence is about developing the the self-identity and then once you get a clear self-identity, then it's like, then it starts to become like, how do I branch out? You know, you were, we were talking about the roots and the trunk. And then it's mm-hmm. like, well, how do I branch out and connect to the air and to the other trees and to the other whatever out there? How do I, and, and you know, I sort of roll my eyes as I say this because this is from my religious background, but I don't mm-hmm. mean it in the religious sense, but how do I bear fruit? Like, what fruit do I bear? Yeah. Um, and so then in adulthood, kind of the question is, how can I give a gift? What is my, basically, what is my gift to my space the space that I inhabit and that and and is around me so it's again it's not complete like selflessness in the sense that then you don't think about yourself anymore because a lot of like especially parents and especially gifted Mm
1: -hmm.
0: uh, gifted kids are like you know giving everything they got all the time and then Mm -hmm. they're super exhausted and they think like well as long as I you know do everything for my child and and stuff, then then it's good enough. And it's like, no, you don't forget about yourself when you're giving the gift to the world. I mean, the gift that you give, that's why I call it like kind of cyclical or sort of self, I don't know, self-reinforcing, or there's a, there's a, a thing that's like you, it's like a boomerang effect, you know, what you're giving out, you're also giving to yourself. Um, and what you're giving to yourself, you're also giving out. And so like, definitely you're, you're wearing the oxygen mask, you know, when you're in your full healthy adulthood. Basically, you're not, you know, going around without oxygen, and then help, you know, helping everybody get their oxygen mask.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely, and because that that's sort of the counterpart. Uh, it's like you you said on one hand, there's a like more aggressive uh, version of you know getting uh, tr- trying to make it in the incoherent world, which can look like more overt narcissism, or entitlement, and so on. And then there's a collapse version, which is like. I don't even know and I, I like what 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 better could I expect or um this is the best I got kind of thing. Yeah. And in the middle, somewhere there's like mixes where uh without even, you know, like with the best intentions, let's say somebody could be in a in a job that is sucking the life out of them and um parenting with all their heart and um Trying to make relationships work from this very empty empty tank place like you're saying, or no no oxygen mask and and asking like well I am giving everything is this all is this the all there is and it's a different kind of um, loss of coherence yeah. where the self is being pulled apart like at the fabric, even yeah and um i I, I want to highlight that one because you just see it really often yeah, we do um and that when we talk about true generativity there's like the maturity of of giving from like a fullness from inside
0: yeah i kind of wanted to put the word wisdom to it because uh, yeah where where you can be putting out content so to speak i think it's kind of more about this cyclical effect of developing wisdom and then doing wise actions and as you do wise actions you develop more wisdom So, I mean, we're human. So it's not like I'm, you know, wise, the wise old sage every day, all day long. But, you know, I've done a fair amount of development. Some of my actions have some wisdom in them. And I think that generates, um, you know, wisdom circles, let's say, in the various uh, areas of my interaction space. And then also just in being with myself and how I prepare myself to, um inhabit my next moments my future other people you know other people's futures the shared future
1: um ah uh, this is something um this might sound a little bit out of left field but i think it connects to what you're saying which is um the question of exposure like being expo- exposing ourselves to a, a broad range of experience and i don't, i don't just mean this in like go travel the world but um, with clients, uh, especially gifted clients, there can be like a one track mind at times where if we've been to, it's like if we're stuck in between these two dysfunctional poles of incoherence, lack of coherence, somewhere in between, there can be this like real scarcity of experiences in favor of thinking through what we're going to do and so it's like oh what should i do with my life okay i'm going to make a plan i'm going to think about this i'm going to think about that and okay this this option's not going to work um how should i like uh, how should i make friends okay i could try this i could try that and there's like a real thinking through experiences rather than actually physically living them yeah actually end up ending up being exposed and um particularly when uh, we we see that compounded with trauma triggers where it's like it's hard to expose ourselves to new experiences because it might feel like the nervous system is going to explode or completely shut down and yet it's the exposure itself that builds the strength and the resilience and that leads us to that wisdom like the, the having that cultivation of wisdom consciously and instead uh, I mean I just have so many examples because I've done it myself, you know, um, been in this sort of like, um, low, low nutrients kind of environment where it's like, where I'm trying to figure it out in my mind, but I'm not actually having the experiences. And then my predictive powers would have given me sort of a, a sense that I didn't need to actually experience it. Yeah. Uh, and so if if I could just like uh, strategize it or plan it out in my mind and my mind told me, well, that, that option is not going to work and that scenario is not going to work and this other scenario is not going to work, then I missed out on the actual physical sort of sensory data that could have surprised me and changed my mind and enriched me and um, told me sort of from physical reality what would be a good option and not Mm -hmm. so I see this with with clients a lot who are especially figuring out career that's why I'm using that example where they're they're first trying to figure out what their passion is then they're trying to figure out what they're good at and then they're trying to figure out what they can apply to in terms of jobs those kinds of things are like very um just like very task oriented and then the in-between things that could be like lots of rich vitamins and lots of rich engagement and muscle building for those like bigger tasks they get abandoned completely and it's like it's as though they don't exist they're filtered out and when when clients conversely decide that they're willing to engage in these micro tasks day, day after day um so like let's take again me for example so Jen you remember when we first started working together I was at a point and with my artwork where I was like what's even the point yes <laughs> <laughs> and I had been going around in my head for years with this now so I had um I had graduated from art school and I had started having shows uh you know like as I would as a painter you know if I wanted to work in the art world and sell my art and make meaningful work and a lot of things happened that had to do with you know lack of support at that time and so on so it was like um i i felt like i couldn't risk trying that very risky path continuing on that very risky path so i started to try to figure out in my head what the what the solution to the problem would be and why wasn't i why wasn't it satisfying it's like you you just have to think about like a a early 20s gifted person who's like how how can I how can this be immediately satisfying and I look back and I'm like well it's not going to be yeah exactly (laughs) and then I'm like yeah but I have all these conflicts sort of existentially with the art world and then I have all these conflicts with, like, well, what? It doesn't help anyone. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. It doesn't help anyone if I'm a guard. So I did these things. Yes, some of these things, like I did go to galleries and I did show my work. So there was some physical experience, but I'll, the majority of it was happening in internally, and it was happening as a trauma loop, where it seemed as though I was having a debate about the actual uh, actual meaningful occupation of my life and my contribution, if you will, as an artist. But in a true fact, it was not knowing how to engage in the hard tasks of life and being traumatized by that. And so uh, late, later on in life, as I started to understand these micro steps, I, I started to just make small things that meant nothing to me artwork artworks that were just they weren't high stakes they were just little things that weren't for nobody and that I didn't necessarily even like but it was just for the point of actually doing something and having a practice and um through that I started to find the complexity in those micro engagements and so I mean it all comes together in the coherence sense. It's like, it wasn't just one thing. It was a complex set of things. Um, so I'm not gonna say like, now just do this one thing and then everything's gonna be coherent. But, um, but there were lots of micro turning points, not one big one. And with those lots of micro turning points, I um, incorporated into my life the, the knowing, in my body and in my mind. So there was the coherence coming together of I need to do things lots and lots of times, lots of unpleasant ones, lots of pleasant ones, um, get lots of exposure from different people's opinions, different people's takes on things and start to get a discernment for which ones are coherent. And that can't happen without the, the data part, the like beta testing failing, um enjoying the moment without having anybody uh, say anything about it you know without having anybody's input. So like the rich like a richness and a, like multiplicity of experience. And I, I see that as a as a kind of learned skill, like a small uh, set of skills that uh, or a toolkit that lead to what you were saying John, about having like wisdom cycles, that uh, it's like when we embody those micro steps, then we can consciously make a choice to do wisdom cycles. Um, I'm wondering if that resonates or if it makes sense that way.
0: Yeah, for sure. It reminds me of um, Robert Greene's idea of mastery and his process toward it. I'll include in our notes, I'll uh, include the links to his book and also to my article on the matter and how the mastery process applies to gifted people because um, there is there is a process which leads to to mastery or wisdom and um, it's not as I say in the article it's not that you just go from zero to five yeah. you go zero and then you do one and then you do the next one which is two and mm-hmm. those you know the first ones uh, add together and they make something that you couldn't get you, like you can't make five without any of the ones you can't just jump and do one of the ones. That, and, and I, you know, and I write in the article, that's difficult for a lot of gifted people because we're used to just going from one to five or zero to five. Oh, okay. Quick. I learned that. But developing wisdom, isn't something that it it, it literally takes this embodied experience, this embodied, like micro, as you're saying, these embodied micro steps, the data collected over years and years and a variety of experiences and stuff. And something that came to my mind as you were talking about that aspect is like that one of the problems I see, you know, specific to the gifted world is that I think a lot of us are kind of trying to cohere with an old fetishized, if I dare say, version mm-hmm. of what it means to be gifted and generative. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, this old idea of like the genius who just finds his, his or her niche and then just does it and uh, for the rest of of their life with grand satisfaction I don't ever think this I don't think this ever actually existed (laughs) but you know in the old days where like let's say you found your your path and then you you did it I mean most eh, I don't want to say most but let's say collectively it wasn't so uh, positively looked at if you jumped careers a bunch of times right yeah relatively speaking, now if you jump careers a bunch of times, people go, Oh, you're a multipotential. Like like they might think it's a little bit weird, but like there's a name for it and it's totally legitimate. You know, back then it was less favorably looked at. So there's kind of this expectation I, I feel from a lot of gifted people that are like, like as you were saying, as an artist in your early twenties, going like, okay, how do I make this be satisfactory now? And it's like, well it wasn't going to be. You could have micro satisfactions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: but it wasn't going to be overall satisfactory because you needed time to build the data to understand what was coherent with you like with your with your inner needs with your level of maturity at that time with your developmental stage of that time with your social situation um yeah i mean there's there's all of those factors that you you need that embodied data about so for like any gifted person listening <laughs> that's it's like if you find yourself trying to go from zero to five in that way, like just mentally, well, that's not, that's not going to get you to coherence. And I think it's really worthwhile um, asking ourselves, you know, what giftedness model, what giftedness expression model are we working with? Like what do, like when I think of gifted, co- like a gifted person's life that's coherent, so coherent gifted person's life, what does that look like? I might be working on some really old, you know, carried data from some other from you know media like media or old timey things that don't apply in our current world.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: this kind of sometimes like the lone genius who's just doing his own thing in the lab or something, and it's like, yeah, but I mean, now our world is so globally cl- connected; like we're destroying it like super fast. We have to be engaged with it for our own survival, for the survival of our species, etc. Like we're not lone wolves in the corner anymore that can, you know, can kind of just do our own thing in the lab um, and invent something really cool. It's like, I mean, I guess you could, but our life and our our collective life is really calling for some other kind of gifted expression. So it's almost like, how can we allow that coherence, that idea of coherence to be less fetishized and um, evolve into where we're at right now? I mean, when we talk about, like today, we've been talking about individual, um, Psychosocial stages, but collectively we're going through them as well. And right now, you know, collectively we're acting like bratty teenagers. (laughs) So how do we collectively also evolve? And and as the gifted collective, you know, like how how does how does the collective gifted gifted people in the world evolve? Our you know what what we consider a coherent gifted person. Uh, I mean, a lot of the work that I've done has been to bring in the idea of that you can be a coherent gifted person and not be quote a quote genius who's mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like like i'm saying you know the lone wolf in the corner lab thing um that you can just be coherent by just showing up and being in your life like you don't it's not about necessarily accomplishing accomplishing things although i am talking about engagement as being a necessary condition for coherence it's like
1: yeah so, oh sorry go ahead like,
0: yeah. gifted engagement yes i think that is necessary for coherence, but not necessarily gifted accomplishment in the narcissistic sense of the word or um, the sort of, let's say, manipulative sense of the word,
1: self-manipulation or manipulation of others, you know, that kind of thing. I I have two things that come to mind when you're saying that one is like a bit of a jump, so I'll explain it, but I'll I'll start with this uh, more connected one, which is that as we're sort of outlining these points, what stands out is like a real um, differentiation between expertise, like let's say I at 20 was already, quote, an expert at painting, but I wasn't generative with my painting. Mm. So you know, we, as, uh, what comes naturally to us as gifted people could be, even through practice, like it doesn't have to be like I was born, <laughs> uh, I wasn't born painting, I wasn't born like a, a savant of painting, I, I had to practice, I had to learn. Um, and so by, by age 20, I was already an expert. But I wasn't being generative, because there was a whole um, ecosystem connected piece. And I mean this in, in the complex way. So like, my inner ecosystem wasn't connected with the generativity of my art, because I didn't know how to Engage with like these real real life uh, wisdom cycles with it, and ecosystem connected with others. Because I was like, what's the point of even painting? So that's very ungenerous, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, like, yeah. It's like I was like, uh, I love doing this, but it, there's no point to it. It's like it's self abusive, um and and there's no no uh, fertile soil for generosity to arise from that where I could. Bring that to my world in this, like, okay, well, I'm not, it's like, maybe I'm not sure what good it's for, but I'm going to explore it. Yeah. You know, like, if I think, again, I'm thinking about the life stage of a 20-year-old, you know, she's not an elder yet. She's trying to figure out what the place is. Um, So exploring and bringing the art to places and bringing the question uh, alive and like letting it actually bear fruit, like you're saying
0: yeah
1: um and so you know yeah i it could be i could be a prodigy uh but that doesn't make me generative right yeah
0: yeah and what you're saying points also to what i was saying right at the beginning yeah uh, about, you know if you don't have coherence between the areas of your intelligence then that's gonna be a recipe for frustration like if you're doing art so you have some version of coherence let's say in I think you're saying you're an expert at painting. There's a coherence there um, with you know between skill and desire, but then um, that doesn't match your um, existential intelligence. Mm-hmm, totally, so your existential intelligence like what's the point of this? And didn't match your emotional um, intelligence either because you know at that point you're looking for intimacy. I mean that is the psychosocial task yeah of young adulthood and so i was like well how do i how does this art connect me to myself but uh, to i'm sorry to myself the, so inner intimacy to other people ex, you know outer social intimacy and then to the world in general and to whatever my purpose is for being here which is the existential aspect and um and of course there were you know the others played i'm sure their own role too but this this is kind of one of those ways that you can look at any moment when you're when you're trying to engage with yourself but you're finding yourself go like the, doing collapsing or the aggressive control thing like you sound like you were collapsed at that point like what's mm-hmm. the point totally. um the aggressive control is kind of the other thing you described where it's like well how do i how do i you know find my passions and then how do i know what i want to do and then how do i construct that into like a you know solid plan and I mean, all those things are could be really h- helpful Data points, but it's not some ultimate, you know, take over the world, <laughs> world domination. <laughs> yeah. Three easy oh. steps, kind of thing. I mean, it's it's really like get an idea. I mean, the way I, I've always talked about it when I've been coaching uh, gifted entrepreneurs is like this idea of the minimum viable product, which yeah. comes from the lean entrepreneur movement. Um, and I'm like, you just have to get a minimum viable plan, and then you just then you test it out like you don't need the full that you just get some some inspiration and then you act on it and then you take the data and then you the next you know iteration you apply what you learned from the data I mean sounds super basic and on one hand you could say well why on earth is she saying this to a bunch of (laughs) gifted? I mean come on yet I'm saying it after 20 years of you know working with humans in as a psychologist and a coach so I'm obviously saying it for a reason, I mean it's a theme that shows up
1: constantly uh-huh
0: those most profoundly gifted clients
1: uh-huh, yes, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like raising hand, yes me <laughs> hi <laughs> i I would like to try to articulate something and i'm I'm maybe I'll need your help like making it make sense because it's like a bunch of things coming together um which and you know it's perfect that you brought up intimacy as that you know that ages um developmental task because that was the other thing that I wanted to say mm. um so I'm, I'm trying to sort of sketch out something and um you know help me help me get it on track if it makes no sense okay so here's what I try uh, what what's coming to mind so with the idea of the minimum viable product as this um fractal that keeps the gift that keeps on giving because we need it we need that medicine Um, i'm thinking that at that age and you know if i'm thinking about myself at that age if i'm thinking about clients at any age there's that feeling of needing to control because things are really incoherent like Mm -hmm. the disorientation makes it so that uh, there's an inner experience like I need to figure this out because I don't nothing makes sense yeah. and there's a you know like a collective cultural piece that says well you should have things figured out so there's yeah. a gaslighting thing happening there yeah. you should have things figured out and you should you know be be successful and be like happy with your passion and you should um, I, I hear this a lot, figure out your why, you No, know, like mm. no bad feelings to, um, Simon Sinek or anything, but, mm. uh, sometimes that finding your why gets, you know, colludes with that feeling of gaslighting. Yeah. And then it becomes, I need to build an empire in my mind before I even try something. Yeah. So, yeah, which is ironic because
0: it's, you know, it's, it's both at the same time. It's like the aggressive control and the collapse.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. The the collapse happens when, when we just swallow what somebody says we should do. And this is why yeah. I'm talking about like, that's, it's in it's important for us to really evaluate what um, models of coherence are we, are we working with, especially as yeah. it relates to our giftedness. Um, because there's not a lot out there. I mean, if there's not a lot out there for us, you know, for healthy guidance for being human, then there's way less, you know, since we're like a 2% of the population or something, there's you know, probably 2% of or less than the, the, the human guidance stuff is um, is geared toward us. And so even less uh, is toward the healthy version because we've all yeah. seen gifted stuff that's quite misleading and, and goes down the road of like eminence only and, and all of this stuff. So, I mean, we're, we're in that challenging um, kind of liminal space where it's like we... we we have to find a way to not collapse into just like taking whatever somebody says. Like if Simon Sinek says, you have to find your why, well, we may have to take the time to really determine what does that mean, gifted style. You know, instead of just saying, well, they said I'm supposed to find my why and since I'm gifted, I should get there quicker. And it's like, no, it's probably gonna take you longer because you have way more threads to follow and, and figure out. Um, an answer, you know, all of these different levels of like in intelligence or um, overexcitabilities if you have them, or um, multi exceptionalities. And going through all those threads is like a lot of hard work. Uh, it takes like sometimes years for people to figure out all this all of these threads. And I mean to some degree it's an ongoing project. I don't I don't actually anticipate that I'll ever really be done with it till I die. So um, so it's like n- making sure you're not collapsing you're staying engaged in a, like kind of like let's say a, like a dialectical uh, yeah. process mm-hmm. with whatever is coming in so not saying well the world says i should blah so i will you know put my gifted powers to to doing that to being that blah whatever that thing is fill in the blank um on the other hand you know not going into the hyper control which is that's that that's also very tempting like to go into the aggressive controlling aspect and go okay um i gotta figure this out and like basically that's the side that <laughs> i'm gonna say like sells out the the gifted our gifted minds to mm-hmm. this collapsed version so it's like the collapse and i wanted to say it before and it's, so it's cool that's coming up now it's like uh, abusive behavior toward the self or toward other others comes out of either the collapsed state or the aggressive state. Right. Um, so like a lot of times we think, well, the collapsed person is just a victim of the situation. Uh, but the truth is that collapsed, I mean, it can, <laughs> the original collapse, let's say, was true victimhood um, mm-hmm. because it was a response to the environment. But the ongoing collapse, especially when you might get support or people might be offering their help and stuff. And if you reject it, or I don't know, you get opportunities to engage in healthier ways and you don't take them, um, then it starts to become abusive. And so Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of really, these are really, really alive concepts, you know, and, and yeah, really engaging in them very, very actively, I think this is like, if I could say anything about like a big summary of this whole conversation is like coherence is, and then this is what you were getting at with like that. It's not just something you just go like, oh, I'm just going to tune into my feelings and then follow that. Mm-hmm. Coherence is really the cyclical process of looking at it from like sort of a meta-analysis of the situation. Then, you know, micro, um, uh, micro experiments Mm-hmm. So, really active engagement on all levels, and not going into the collapse collapse state, but also then not going into the hyper control state. Like finding this in between space where you're really engaged and allowing life to um, evolve in the process of you be, you, know, you existing, you you thinking, you acting, you collecting data on you know in whatever the present moment is. This kind of ongoing present moment.
1: Absolutely, and the you know you're you're speaking to a lot of the things that I had in mind when i I said, "Ah, oh, there's this other thing <laughs> um, because the 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 um, I guess quote final, I'm not saying final uh completely because as you're saying, it's like uh, uh it's an alive and, and living breathing evolving uh exploration and process. But the final element that I see here, which takes us back to the very beginning of our, our intention for this conversation, is intimacy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, when we're in that alive um, dialectical state process, then that's when we can have healthy intimacy. Uh, as like it's like an ongoing conversation, it's like breathing, it's like um, checking in and having a call and response kind of experience with life, with our bodies, with other people. And when I was thinking about the, the story about you know, being our early 20s and being an artist and not having the ability or the concept to do the minimum viable what I, when I track back to that self, I can feel that uh, experience like almost like a blankness where, where the call and response should be like a feeling of, um, like, I want to say almost like lack of faith, you know, and that, you know, I think this is like, it illustrates everything that you're saying because it's like, well, I can't just do a minimum viable product that doesn't cover my back. That doesn't like, that doesn't ensure anything. And, um, one of the kind of big fractals of, of um loss of coherence in our culture is that sense that if I don't take care of everything, nobody will. If I if you know, if we don't control um all the resources on the planet, we will never make sure that humanity thrives. I'm just, you know, loosely elaborating certain like cultural myths that we have. Um, if we, I mean, I'm just gonna be like Uh, a little inflammatory here but it's like if we took care of climate change then the economy would collapse because whatever um so it's like there there's a like a feeling of we can't trust life Mm -hmm. and i know that that was that was my feeling one of my feelings at that time i can't trust life so i need to figure this out with almost like with life as my enemy i still need to figure this out
0: well, I think this is in this is the core of how we, I mean, because the whole point is coherence is an expression of aliveness. It builds yeah. on a basic um, aliveness and access to aliveness. And when we, you know, aren't are unable to access our own aliveness for for whatever reasons, and unable to access the aliveness of other people around us. So, like, if our parents, you know, mm-hmm. dampened mm-hmm. down their aliveness and we didn't access it, then what happens is. Intimacy, like the, the the desire for intimacy, or the let's say the conscious desire for intimacy, often goes into the shadow, and like the the personal and the collective shadow, um, so like the family shadow or whatever, yeah. And um, then it's not experienced as our own aliveness, and so engagement from the point of view when like desire for intimacy is in the shadow, um, the the engagement feels empty. So it's yeah. this really weird thing. Like the, the, the healthy desire for intimacy has to come out of the shadow. We have to own, own it. It's weird because sometimes you can see people, you know, you can just watch them be so desperate for intimacy. Yet yeah. if you said to them, like, you seem desperate for intimacy, they're there. like, no, I'm fine. Or, I mean, they, they'd find a way to sort of minimize it or, or deflect it or something. Um, because they, it's, it's. I mean, sometimes it's embarrassing to feel how desperate many of us feel after not getting the kind of intimacy that would allow us to go through the, the phases in a healthy way. I've talked about this in some of our past conversations. Like being older, being in my late twenties, and, you know, having to learn the basics of like trust and stuff. I mean, it was embarrassing. It was social, socially embarrassing. And, I mean, at that point, I had mostly come out of my own shadow. So I was like, um well oh well (laughs) it's embarrassing but (laughs) it's real it's my reality so i could be engaged in a conscious way and that engagement was satisfying even though i wasn't still getting like there and i still hadn't solved all the problems but the engagement itself was satisfying and that felt coherent so when when you have like um let's say just take a, a child with his parents then um when the parents have enough aliveness and the child is able to experience enough aliveness, there's an engagement that happens just by the aliveness being socially shared. Mm -hmm. Um, Me being able to access as the child, let's say, me being able to access my parents' aliveness and let's say the nutrients of that. um, And then the feedback loop between them and me and me to them as well. Um, And that creates this kind of engagement that's neither collapsed nor controlling. Exactly and so that's what you know we're that's what we're sort of quote looking for that would be like let's say the gold standard of coherence is that we have this engaged intimacy and like on the physical level this is something interestingly um described by the polyvagal stuff Mm -hmm. uh the polyvagal theory and this this idea of the social engagement system and so we can put a link to that because it's it's
1: also interesting oh yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and oh I, I wanted to sort of build on what you're saying and and talk about like even in different developmental phases intimacy looks different as well yeah. yeah and so it it takes us back to that that um algorithm if you will of um ongoing engagement of um cycling through experiences checking the meta-analysis level of well, you know, if if we were doing this organically in life, we, it wouldn't necessarily always be, you know, like in the, it, what you said, like the gold standard version of it. It wouldn't necessarily be that you're tracking in a book <laughs> for what the reference points are for your for your developmental phase. But it would be, for instance, um, you know, like if I think of in, uh, rites of passage in indigenous traditions, where you all, all of a sudden get given... Instructions, instruction manuals for your next stage of life, and you're now going to behave. Your boundaries are different, and your intimacy is going to be more complex and um, richer. And uh, you know, and you leave behind the one the versions that you had. Yeah. Um, and so that I think that's uh, in, in when we sort of like go back back down to the bottom line of boundaries, that's the place where where we could do a lot of practice. Yeah. um as you know um yeah, I, I ongoingly I do <laughs> yeah, yeah. doing doing a lot of practice of recognizing it's like what version of intimacy am I applying now from from what stage of life um is it engaged in that in between sort of creative tension uh between too aggressive or too collapsed in that you know healthy engagement version which in- allows me to um sense my environment to to pay attention to take in the data to sense my own needs and motivations and the tasks that it are are mine to do right now to respond in an assertive and healthy way um to express in an assertive and healthy way to listen with that kind of um um with with that kind of ear with those kinds of ears um and and to be like you know taking that step by step step by step and what i'm seeing a lot is that um people are really really confused about what intimacy looks like and we're collectively trying to um become more relational and there's a lot of you know bodies of work that are emerging let's say out of the polyvagal theory for instance a lot of relational neurobiology that tells us like yeah we need this social engagement as a, something that had never been validated uh, by experts in the same way. And yet we, uh, what I see a lot is that people automatically revert back to the intimacy version of a child. And uh, when there's like adult adult version of intimacy, it's, uh, it's weird or it's um, you know, uncharted or confusing um, because it doesn't entail this sort of like instant bonding or that instant merging that a young child would have with their parents, for instance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, John, you were talking earlier about um, transactional analysis. which <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say. The word, the word sounds like the opposite of relationships. Yes, but
0: in fact, it's really helpful in, in understanding the blueprint of relationships and what's really going on. Um, so, and I, you know, I haven't been like tracking our time, but I think we're, you know, this is one of our longer episodes. So I'm guessing we we should like, you know, wrap up in in some short order. But um, but I think this is a cool place to kind of conclude at because it's, transactional analysis is one of these things that um, you can use as a really sort of, Simplistic, but very, very insightful tool to understand how you're approaching your relationships, how you're respecting or not other people's boundaries in your own and um, how you are either engaging with uh, relational coherence toward intimacy or creating relational discoherence or incoherence um, and in some way, self sabotaging against intimacy. And, you know, that can be, we could have a whole other series of converse, uh, conversations on trauma related to that. Like, why did that happen? You know, um, there's the whole attachment styles issue, disorganized attachment, which is another way of saying incoherent attachment. There's all, I mean, th- this could go in lots of directions. But to say it simply, quote simply, um, when we look at transactional analysis, it it's a basic tool that looks at are we re- relating to other people? So this is assuming we're adults. So in the adult age, are we relating to other people as though we are an adult or as though we are a child or as though we are a parent? And are we relating to other people as though they are an adult or as though they are a child or as though they are a parent? So we can have parts of ourselves that interact as adults, part of ourselves that interact as children, parts of ourselves that interact as uh, parents, and we can react. uh, Excuse me, we can um, interact with other people and separate them out into parts. And sometimes we act toward them as though they are adults, and sometimes as though they are children, and so sometimes as though they are uh, parents. So the child version is kind of the idea of the collapsed version that I've been talking about, the collapsed version of relating. And the um, parental version is more about the controlling, aggressive controlling aspect. So you can naturally guess then that the adult version is the healthy engagement. Um, and what's really interesting, I mean, if you want to read about this, you you can read Eric Byrne's, um book, Games People Play it's fantastic. it's in really the mm-hmm. old academic style, but i mean he's just hilarious. i'm laughing at every page every time i read the the book. um uh if you're not a native english speaker though, it's some of it's quite challenging if you read it in english because it's like old-timey phrases and stuff that aren't necessarily so easily understood. so maybe get it in your own language if you can or Um, find a a synthesis of his ideas somewhere else in a a more easy to digest language. But so the idea is, you know, he has charts in there. So you have P, A, C, so parent, adult, child on one side and then P, A, C on the other, which is you're on the one side and the other person that's on the other side. And um, he draws diagrams, you know, so if you are acting in a controlling manner toward people, um, probably you're acting like a parent treating them as a child. If you are acting in a collapsed manner toward other people, you are probably in the child mentality or child relational pattern and treating them as parents. And you can see so many relational conflicts going on where a person comes into a situation and act, start, you know, is acting in, in their you know, fully healthy, engaged, co- coherent state. Um, and then the person responds by acting like a parent and gets all controlling. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and the person that's the adult person is like, I'm not putting up with this, (laughs) you know, no way. But if if I'm coming into the interaction as a child and the other person acts like a parent, then we might stick together like glue and be like dysfunctionally, you know, dysfunctionally connected for a long time, playing out those old patterns. So when we start to analyze where we're coming from in our relationships, whether we're coming from the adult uh, parent or child point of view and how we're treating other people uh, in that same regard, it's a really helpful, um, like basic, like basic assessment of where, you know, where we're coming from. And from there, we can work backwards. So if we use that model, and then from there, identifying which relationships were not engaging in a coherent way with and like I think I don't have to say, but I'll just say in case anybody isn't making the leap um, as they're listening, if you're acting as a parent or a child toward other people, but you're actual, you're a, you know, physical, biological adult, you're not acting in a boundary way. So you're breaking, you're breaking your own and other people's boundaries, healthy boundaries. Um, So it's a really easy black and white test to understand, uh, you know, are you, are you acting in a boundary way? Um, it might be that you don't have the tools yet. You don't understand how to act in a boundary way. And then it becomes your responsibility for coherent engagement to learn how to be an adult, a psychological, you know, full psychological adult and to go through that process. Um, yeah, so looking at that is, is a real help, really helpful uh, guide to then being able to go back and look at the, for example, Erickson psychosocial stages and going, where am I stuck here? you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, I can tell I'm feeling guilt about like not, you know, making, doing enough accomplishments, gifted accomplishments, let's say. So I'm acting like an imposter when I go into my relationships. Acting like an imposter is like acting like a child. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you're being childish, but you're coming at it from a point of view of a child because an adult is not an imposter. As an adult, you're yourself. I mean, unless you're okay, unless you're like intentionally manipulative because you have narcissistic something okay then that we're in another like psycho psychopathy discussion but I mean just in general if you are um if you're if you're engaging uh from that point of view then
1: yeah (laughs) that's that and the problems will follow Um, Yeah, and I mean, even then, it would be a question of uh, potentially you know missed developmental stages or something. It's just more complex to resolve. Exactly. Yeah, very good
0: point. And so, like, there's work to be done, uh, and then you—that's where you see like the the future of your coherent engagement, and that's how like time also becomes more coherent for you because if you know where you're at, you know where you need to be going for you know for for developing health and increasing aliveness, um, and bringing you know, dead, like let's say dead aliveness or or compromised aliveness out of the shadow so that it can be alive again, then um, you have an idea of, of a coherent future for where you're at. But if you're like struggling super hard, you're like interacting like a child or like a parent and all all or many of your relationships, and you have no idea what to do next to fix it, you know, it's going to feel again, incoherent because you have these needs and you have these desires but you don't know how to fulfill them. And so your future is incoherent with your present. So, you know, just kind of loops around on all of these different levels of incoherence.
1: Yeah, Um, absolutely.
0: Yeah, so we'll provide a a link to Eric Burns' book and the Wikipedia page to transactional analysis. And I think that's a really good reference for kind of starting to dig into some of this,
1: this, this
0: parent adult child stuff
1: yeah um that was one of my first like most beloved uh psychological tools, and it really helped me you yeah. uh, know start to gain that coherence so like I loved how you described it just now, John, because it gives like like a real step by step example of what we were saying at a meta level earlier, which is you look at the reference points uh as I was saying like on one column, my behavior on the other column was the reference point and this would be an example of that it's like here's my behavior I'm acting uh, like an imposter okay the reference point uh, decodes that to say okay well in this model that means you're you're coming from the child place and here are the things in this other model tells you what you could do about that
0: yeah it just a memory just came to my mind when I was in my 20s and working with my mentor Michelle and Uh, I learned about the parent adult child stuff from her. And she would say to me at times that I was collapsing, she would Mm -hmm. say, okay, what Jen, tell me, what would the adult Jen do right now?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And like, I get emotional when I think about it because at that time I was like, yeah, I was super collapsed and like, I didn't have, I mean, aside from her, I didn't have good adult reference points. So, oh yeah, it was really, it was, it, there, was there were these moments where I was like, I, w- I want to know. Yeah. I want to know what the adult gen would do. I don't know. And so I would, I would have to, you know, think through it. And I think, well, what would Michelle do? This was kind of, <laughs> it was like my closest thing that I get. What would Michelle do? Like Michelle's an adult. What would, what would she do? And then, you know, so then I would sort of work back to, so what could I do? And then I just have to go into everything you talked about before with your art, micro experiments. Like it wasn't like I got this big, great picture of myself as an adult. It was like, I would get some minimum viable idea and then I, I, I tested out and I made so many mistakes. Oh my God. I mean, I did some really dumb things during that period, but I knew they were all experiments. So I was like, you know, I'm not judging myself for them. I was just like, well,
1: this is part of growth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm super grateful that you're um sharing this super tender memory right now because I mean I like yes, me too um and i I see this so much with our clients uh and in you know like it's it's uh, I don't know what to how to describe it it's like a mixture of like the tenderness of like shit, we're all in this where we don't yeah. know where we don't have these reference points where um in our in 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 our very cells we don't know what an adult would do right now and we have to learn it from scratch and it's uh you know um having that compassion and that like uh the love for the process even though it's heart wrenching is um also a task in and of itself. It is. And yeah. I think something
0: i have written down before when you were talking was like a lot of people feel and I went through this, trust me, I went through this phase as well. It's not fair it's not mm-hmm. fair. I didn't get these needs met. It's not fair that I have to act like a three-year-old when I'm 27 or whatever. Um, and then I got over that. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I can't tell you, I mean, I'd, if I have, have to really think about what was the series of events that made me get over it, but something clicked and I got over it. And I was like, I think, I guess, yeah. I mean, now that I'm saying it out loud, what I would say is that I got out of my shadow. I just put yeah. everything in the light and I said I don't care I don't care what anybody else says about my journey this is mine it's the, I'm the only space I have to work in you know I'm the only physical space I have to work in I don't have another space this is this is it and this is my journey and it's going to be what it is like um and it was funny because at that time I had like a lot of people I had you know left my work and left my relationship and left everything and left the country. And, um, I had a lot of people telling me, Oh my God, like, what are you doing with your life? Like you're, you're, you're going to ruin everything you built up till here and so on and so forth. And I was just like, like looking at them and speaking of like looking at adults and trying to find healthy reference points. I was like looking at them. And a lot of the people who were telling me this were like, not happy. Mm -hmm. And then there was Michelle, for example, my mentor who was telling me, yeah, go quit your stuff, go. I'll support you any way I can. And um, you know, she was one of my main healthy reference points, but for the rest that were, and there were a lot of them telling me, you know, you're, you're going to regret this. You don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I was like, basically you, you've had your, your time to make your own decisions. And this is what you've, this is the level of satisfaction and coherence. If we're using that word that you've been able to create with the choices that you've made, I'm not willing to live with that level of satisfaction and coherence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I need something way more coherent than what I see from you so you had your choice you had you know your choices and you had your time to make your decisions now it's mine I'm an adult and this was really me stepping into my adulthood Um, I'm an adult and I'm going to do the work that it takes to be a full generative adult and if you don't like the journey and you don't like what it looks like well you know there's eight billion other of us that you can go stalk
1: (laughs) and try to control (laughs)
0: I'm not going to be one of
1: them. <laughs> uh, what a powerful example of like uh, boundaries related to coherence right there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope
0: some of you can find yourself in in some of what I've shared from my own journey. And I'm sure that many people will from what you shared us, in you know, for your early 20s and your your career
1: experience. Yeah. And I, I love um, being able to bring you know, my personal experience into this because uh, if you know uh, if it's not clear from everything that we've said, it's like coherence. We, we have to kind of build it from scratch in some ways and um, and, and sort of collage together all these pieces and um and I think the without the the lived experience part uh, to illustrate that it's really sometimes really hard to imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really
0: is. I mean, it sounds it can sound very technical and like we're giving all these technical tools as well. Like okay, yeah. uh, transactional analysis, and then you can look at uh, mastery, and then you can you know, and like we said, I mean, a lot of it is mental, like developing coherence after, like, if it didn't, you know, emerge naturally out of the self-organization and the coherence of and intimacy, let's say, um, and aliveness of your the system you were born into, then, you know, a lot of it is mental work, but yeah, I mean, as our own personal experiences show, um, and many, you know, all of our experiences with clients and stuff, um, it, it's, it's cyclical, it's learn, then apply learn, then mm-hmm. apply, learn, then mm-hmm. apply, but in this really engaged way and not in the collapsed or or uh, uh, controlling way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, since we're talking about apply- learning and then applying and then engaging, um, I'd love to uh, take a moment now to plug my upcoming workshop. Yes. Um, so for all of you listening right now, um, in late October of this year, um, or maybe maybe early November, we'll be having the next legitimizing your gifted needs workshop. This is very relevant to everything that we're saying because it's another one of those places like a space where you can hear the mental reference points. Um, so we'll look at Maslow's hierarchy as uh, like um, a guiding model to help us Um, take inventory of what gifted needs really are from the bottom of the hierarchy all the way to the top. Tier by tier, we'll be looking at gifted needs. And this year's workshop is going to be a little different than other years, previous years, um, because we'll be doing a lot more um, participative uh, exercises, small group discussions um, and um, self-reflection exercises. So that by the end of the, of the workshop, it's going to be three and a half hours. We'll, uh, ideally, every participant will be able to come out with actionable steps. So we'll actually be walking through how does one apply the abstract reference uh, tool, the framework, to uh, minimum viable experiments <laughs> to um, actually apply them in your life and then uh, continue that cycle uh, in, in your Uh, self-study in your process so if you're interested then um, do email me it's um, karin k-a-r-i-n at intergifted.com and uh, i can tell you more about it over email if you if you're curious and if you know that you want to sign up then you'll be able to sign up um yeah and so i'm excited for listeners who are particularly working through this process to to join the workshop yeah, it's going to be great. I'm so happy that you took it over and are expanding <laughs> it now. That's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Anything else to add? Did I forget any details? Important no, details. sounds
0: good. Uh, I would only add that we're also going to be publishing our fourth um, writing and art compilation
1: Oh yeah. Uh,
0: through the Intergifted community. Um, so stay tuned for that. It should be coming out in early-ish October. Um, and it's really interesting because it's a kind of our invitation was sort of asking people to find the coherence between their gifts and the emerging world so how do we plug in our gifts to be meaningful in a coherent way and to be generative in the emerging world and to feed into that positive cycle so uh we have lots of contributors and variety of kinds of essays and art and music and experiences um, that are in there uh, it's called gifts for an emerging world uh, and we'll have more news on our website and on our public channels and within the
1: community coming soon yeah excited about that about publishing our fourth compilation this year yeah i know it's exciting Yay. Um,
0: and then um, we will be back with you all um, for our third uh, conversation on this topic which is about organization we don't know when that will be but stay tuned to our channels here and, and you'll find out when when we're ready
1: yeah great it's been a wonderful conversation I'm so happy it has thank you thank you and thank you for listening everyone yeah thanks everyone bye bye